If you open your Bible to Mark 7, 1 through 23, we see that once again, Jesus is in conflict. And who is he in conflict with? The religious leaders once again. Now over and over again, we see that the Jewish leaders are opposing Jesus. And once again, we see Jesus does a judo move and he's going to say, we're going to bring light to the heart of God. And in this passage, Jesus is going to come up against the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, a little summary. If you don't know, it's important to understand who the Pharisees and the scribes are. Because if you're new to the faith, you will read Jesus and you'll say, who are these dudes? But what we know is that the Pharisees were two groups of religious leaders in Israel. And they were different sects of Judaism. And the Pharisees led a sect and and they believed in a strict adherence to the Jewish laws. Not only did he, they have a strict adherence to the Jewish laws, but they also had a, a strict uh, uh, adherence to the traditions. And so they would have the Hebrew scriptures, but they would also take the oral transi- tra- tra- uh, traditions that were passed down from generation to generation. And these guys were highly respected. People would have, in the Jewish community, these would have been the people who know it all. Now the scribes, were a group of experts in the Jewish law. So they were the ones that had the responsibility of copying and interpreting the Hebrew scriptures. And many of them were Pharisees as well, but both these groups ran Jewish society. When you think of the Pharisees and the scribes, when it says they came from from Jerusalem, you have to think these are the Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky, and uh, Serena Williams of the law. These are the goats. These are the people that you do not mess with. If you're an average person, you do not want to argue with these dudes because they know what they're talking about. And so we see this, that Jesus is fine clashing with them. Mark 7, 1 through 5. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with their hands that were defiled. That is, they were unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Now, at first reading, for me, this is a completely rational way of thinking. I have a few quirks is what I call them. Some people call them fears, but I call them quirks. One, if we ever go hiking and I get close to an edge, I am, I'm a little bit afraid of, of uh, heights. That's just going to be a thing. Number two, if you've been a part of Redeem for Long, you know this. I am probably deathly afraid of clowns. Just look at this picture and tell me that this doesn't freak you out. If they ever brought in a clown, I would be heading for the exit and you guys would be finding a new pastor. <laughs> like it would be so fast. I'm not stepping back foot in this. We will never have a kid's carnival with clowns. It's not happening, okay? Number three, I have a healthy, I believe a healthy, uh, fear of uh, 
foodborne illnesses. It is a thing for me. And I have a hard time at church potlucks. If you see me at a church potluck, it has nothing against you, but I probably won't eat. And people keep trying to shove food in my mouth, and I will not eat. I'm sure that everyone has the cleanest uh, kitchen, so I'm not putting judgment, but the people who are not here probably don't have the cleanest kitchen. And I have this picture. I've always had this picture. My mom, I called my mom to, to make sure that I was right. Of I had this fear of cats on counters. Cats on counters is a thing that I've always, I just think it's a real thing, and, and I've never seen a cat on a counter, but they, they, they go to the bathroom in a litter box, in a box, and then they climb up, amen? Now, I got approval to share this, so just I want to be careful, but Liz and John have one of the nicest kitchens that you ever see. I will eat food at Liz and John's house. This is no shame, but I was over at Liz and John's house one time, and, and, they, and Liz said, hey, there's some cake from a birthday party last night. Go ahead and grab yourself a piece. So I walk over there. I look at the piece. And there are two paw prints on the middle of this cake. And every fear came true. To the point where Liz says this. Oh, yeah, my cat got into it last night. Don't worry. It's all good. She doesn't do this. We've had a talk. It's all good. It's taken care of. You can eat stuff with Liz. But every fear came true. So when I look at this and I say, defiled hands... I totally get this, this wash, but it's important to understand this is not what they're saying, okay? What we see is that washing hands is a fine expectation, but what's really going on is that the Pharisees and the scribes are making a trip all the way from Jerusalem, and they're on a fact-finding mission, and they're not there to learn, and they're not there to dialogue or discuss. They're there to investigate Jesus and his followers, and they're there to find fault in them. They're there to find their faults, and it doesn't take long for them to see a fact that Jesus' disciples are, not, are, are eating without washing their hands, what did it say, properly. Now, what we see is that this word defiled means common or communal, and, and what it is is, is a Jewish technical term, and the issue is not cleanliness or hygiene. It's not that. It's ceremonial purity is what they're saying. And it's thought that you need to have ceremonial cleansing, particularly if you're a Jew that's come in contact with the unclean Gentile. And so you, if you went to a marketplace with non-Jewish people, you would have an expectation to clean yourself in this ceremonial way. Or if you touched money or you touched utensils. Tra tradition called for a kind of ceremonial cleanliness that was nearly impossible for ordinary people to do. This ritual washing was observed closely by the Pharisees. They would have done this. And so what we see is that this is part of the tradition of the elders, not of God's word. And these traditions were designed to regulate every aspect of Jewish life. And these religious leaders considered them as binding as God's written law. And who would have passed these down? The scribes. The scribes were the ones that taught it generation to generation to generation. So they're like, they're no messing with these traditions. But this fault-finding mission, it really reveals the heart of the religious leaders. The Pharisees and the scribes were more concerned with their own human traditions than understanding God's word. What we see is that Jesus' disciples were not breaking any commandments of God by not washing their hands properly. They were violating the traditions of man. 
Now, I want to just pause here and just say this because I'm going to kind of put this up because I think there's many people that have come into our community that have had what is called church hurt. Have you heard church hurt? Have you seen on Instagram church hurt? Everything, uh, there's a lot around church hurt. Now, I want to be uh, clear on this that some of you have experienced a time where a person in position of authority or plain people in the church misrepresent or distort God for their own ways of doing things. Can I get an amen on that? Many of you have come from traditions where legalism begins to take, uh, take root. And what we see is that there's a huge focus on outward appearances rather than on the condition of your own hearts. Some of us have been in churches where the leaders have personal preferences and it is the equivalent to God's word. And if you guys do not look or act this way, then you will not be part of the community. This is still true today in the church. And everyone in a religious community is supposed to act the way a certain way rather than God's expectation. I had to rewire my brain. I grew up in a very traditional church. It was hymns and sit up, stand up and sit down. And if you were not part of this tradition, you were in for a wild ride when you came to church. You know what I'm talking about? I got like three head nods. It's like you got to know what's going on. No one's going to explain to you what's going on. And you're just going to be all of a sudden everyone's stepping up and seeing oh, some blessing and you don't know what's going on. I was a wild kid. Not in, in a bad way, but I hated dressing up. It was a hard thing for me, and there was an expectation that you dressed up. Now, in my defense, I'm going to throw up a picture of this kid because this is probably what I looked like as a kid. What parents think turtlenecks and wool sweaters are a good idea? Am I right? That is never a good look. I literally think I had this exact outfit. I hated dressing up. It was a thing. My mom would put a turtleneck on me. I would throw it down. Wool sweaters made me itch. And this was like a thing. You had to dress up to come to the church. And, and I was passionate about the kingdom. I really was. I was passionate about God. But some, uh, some people in the church, they were judging me. Some of them would even yell at me. And I left with a sour taste for the church. And to be honest with you, I left with a sour taste for God. And what we see is that it wasn't the only reason that I left my faith, but it didn't help. And the Pharisees and the scribes were more concerned with the outward appearances and traditions than with the condition of their hearts. That is happening today at the same time. This is still going on in God's church. In a healthy, vibrant, kingdom-moving church, we focus on the heart. We don't let tradition get in the way of the church we are driven by purpose and passion and the power of God's Spirit. And when we do, this, the church comes exactly what God always intended it to be, to seek a dynamic relationship with God and to engage in vibrant faith. And if any of you have church hurt from that, I say that I'm sorry, but at the same time, it doesn't change who God is. And Jesus is saying in these passages that this is who God really is, just listen. So if you come from church hurt, I want to acknowledge it, that that was not how it was meant to be, and Jesus is saying it right here. Mark 7, and he said to them, Well did Isaiah's prophecy of, the hip of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. 
You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have, have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Now it's interesting. Jesus makes no reference to his disciples' conduct. He's like, I'm not even going to go there with you. I'm not even going to argue this. He quotes scripture to the scriptural experts. He's like, we're going to go toe-to-toe on here. He's like, let me really explain this to you. He quotes the prophet Isaiah, and he charges them with hypocrisy. He says, you hypocrites, you say you profess to honor God, but your hearts are so far from him. Now, this Isaiah prophecy, it sits in Isaiah 29, 13. And Isaiah 29 is in the woe sections of Isaiah. Let me say this. If you're living in a time of the woe sections of prophecy, your life's not really going to go well. It's like the woe section is a really, really hard thing because it's God coming after, saying this is, I'm going to correct a nation or a people. And Isaiah 29 is the call of the people of where? Jerusalem. And they profess to know God They're doing the formal acts of worship, but they did not worship God from their hearts. Listen, coming to church every once in a while gives you no God points. It's the worshiping of the heart that matters. There's nothing that you can do. There's no tradition that you can follow that somehow gets you from here to there and said it's God's truth and it's worshiping from your heart. And he's saying, this is what's happening. They're doing formal acts of worship, but their hearts are so far from me. They're more concerned with man-made legalistic rules than God's law, which promotes mercy and justice. You guys are so far from it. That is not the heart of God, is just to go through the motion. But the relationship between our inner motivation and our outward behavior And he goes further, Mark 7. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reveals uh, father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained for me is Corbin, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many Such things you do. What's going on here? Moses clearly, clearly, clearly lists out this divine commandment. It's a person's duty and honor to take care of your parents. It's so clear that he mentions it twice. Once he mentions it positively as the fifth commandment and he'll mention it again negatively. So Exodus 20, 12, we see honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land of the Lord, the Lord, the Lord your God is giving you. And then he repeats it negatively. Leviticus 20, anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death because they have cursed their father or their mother. Their blood will be on their own head. So there's this clear command and Jesus tells them because uh, tells them, calls them out because he's saying you quote tradition that's trying to sidestep God's command. You say this thing's Corbin, meaning I have these things, uh, this, this uh, money, and I'm going to set it aside and I'm going to call it Corbin, meaning I'm going to set it aside for God, but then when I do that, I can use it how I want and I don't have to take care of my parents. And, and Jesus is saying, 
you do many of these types of things. You go against the commands of God because of your own tradition. Do you not understand? It's the heart of the law that matters. And so what we see is that the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes have been teaching this, a way to literally sidestep it. And he says, I'm going to go even further. I'm going to say many of these things you do. You're setting up this whole system that goes against what God has intended. Mark 7, 14-23, And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that's going into him, uh, that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declares all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, Envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. What defiles us is not external things. It's not food or drink. It's the sin that comes from our heart. It's a heart matter. Food, yes, we should have a healthy fear of foodborne illnesses. But at the very least, it's going to come into my stomach and it's going to come out somehow, right? No matter how sick you are, it's coming out. That can defile us maybe for a little bit, but that does not defile us because it's going in your stomach and out. And he says it doesn't go to the moral part of you. The moral part of you is what God cares about. It doesn't go to the heart. The heart is different than the stomach. The heart is powerful. The heart is powerful. We see that throughout the scriptures, God has made it clear that it's a heart issue. And according to the Bible, not only is the heart the most important thing to just straight keeping you alive, right now all of our hearts are keeping us alive, but at the same time, the heart is the center of all spiritual activity. And he says, an unchecked heart defiles you. An unchecked heart defiles you. What we are experiencing in the world right now is unchecked hearts. Unchecked hearts is what you all are experiencing. There is not a compass right now that's saying this is what's right and this is what's wrong. And we're going to see what the Bible says about unchecked heart because Jesus gives a catalog of evils. There's 12 evils that he's going to lay out. This is what comes from the heart. And what we see is that six are acts that you're going to do. Like things like sex outside of marriage, sex outside of the plan, one male, one female, stealing, killing, greed, wanting more stuff, wickedness, a catch-all of all the thoughts, all the evil thoughts that you could have and express himself. And then he's going to list six and he's going to say, these are immoral tendencies of an unchecked heart. Things like being someone that will do or say anything for a personal advantage, having a jealous attitude towards the possessions of others, exalting yourself above others. Jesus is saying, these are the evils that truly defile you. I'm laying it out so clear. 
and you can get so into coming to church and not and checking off a box, or you can say, this is a heart issue, and I need to figure out my heart. The source is not from the outside. The source is from the inside and from your heart. What he's calling us to is a life of integrity. He's calling the Pharisees and the scribes to a life of integrity. It does not matter what you do on the outside or what you look like on the outside if your heart is so defiled and so further down the path that you aren't doing the things that the Lord lays out. It's always been a heart matter. Now what do we do with this? I think it's very clear, and I could have gone a million different ways with this, but the Lord really pointed me to to this. Because it's a heart matter, we must guard our hearts. Over and over again, the scripture talks about how our heart is the source of both good and evil actions. I was actually just listening to something, a podcast this morning on my run, and I heard uh, this this, uh, pastor was talking about, I don't know, I, I Googled it real quick, so be, i got to be careful here. But there are 40,000 neurons in your heart. Your heart actually plays a piece in, uh, in brain function. It's, it's crazy. And not only that, but you have 70,000 uh, different thoughts that come into your head in the course of a day. And out of your heart is where all these actions are towards your thoughts. And so now you have 70,000 different thoughts coming into your head. And if you have an unguarded, unchecked heart, it can lead you any which way. And the Proverbs 4 tells us this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to to the left. Keep your foot far from evil. To guard something is to make sure that it does not get away and that it stays safe from attack. If you're told to guard something, if, I'm, if I take my kid and I say, hey, will you mind watching them? I'm saying, will you mind guarding them? Right? There's two things you have to do. Make sure that Abraham doesn't run out these doors across the uh, gravelly lake because that's probably about to happen. So you're supposed to keep him from going astray and you are to guard him. You're supposed to make sure that attack doesn't come his way. And so the question is, how good are you th- with that in your heart? Seriously. How much do you even actively think about this? Because I believe that one of the greatest threats to the Christian in today's world is not from the outside, but it's actually from the inside. I think we are walking around with a bunch of unchecked hearts. I really do. I dare say that many of us with our words profess Jesus and we say we are Christians, but our actions do not match. And instead of making sure that your heart does not go astray, you let it go down any path. You let it go down any path. And an unguarded heart, even for a little bit, if you turn one degree from a straight line, you go a week or a couple weeks, or a year, and you find yourself so so far from the path that you don't even know how to get back on the path. And it's an unchecked, 
unguarded heart and you're not let, you're letting all those 70,000 thoughts come in and completely do whatever you want with them. At the same time, many of us don't guard our heart from attack. In the Hebrew, the heart is the location of knowledge. And so it's the place that all of our decisions come from. And the heart is this. Your heart is who you are. Yes, I see your outward appearances. Yes, I hear your words. But I'm really, all of us are looking at each other's heart because we're looking at who you really are and your actions and your words must align with your heart. The heart is the seat of all human actions. With that in mind, we have to guard it. Whatever the heart is, so are you. If your heart is wicked and deceitful, so are you. If your heart is renewed and sanctified, so are you. So this is the call. Guard your heart. Seriously, guard it. And Jesus was telling his disciples the same thing. Focus on what matters. Because we can get too hung up, just like the Pharisees, on traditions and preferences. We don't keep the main thing the main thing. And we complicate this Christian life. But no longer, no matter how long you've been in faith, some of us have been there for 50 years, some of us for 10 years, some of us for three days. This remains truth. The life of the Christian disciple, the life of the way of Jesus is this. It's a heart matter, so guard it. It's a heart matter, so guard it. You can spend all your attention on all the noise and all the stuff that's going on out there and completely have your heart unchecked and going down any path and you become what? A hypocrite. So the Pharisees did. Now the second thing is this. We talked about church hurt earlier. So I want to bring it back to church hurt because this is very important to our Christian community. When I prayed for the kids, I'm very passionate about this. I say this over and over again. We, our heart is to build a healthy, spirit-led church in the heart of Lakewood. I want to say this. So often, the spirit in particular, through prophetic words or things that come or the way that people express, can be a place where people manipulate and abuse. So I want to put that clearly. I'm raising my kids in this church. I will fight like a dog to make this a healthy, uh, spirit-led church because the kids and raising the next generation is all what this is all about. Amen? Amen. But, but with church hurt, I want to be very careful on this. We have to understand that something dangerous is happening. And it's a trend like this. Some people have left churches or have church hurt because the church called out sin. Like they saw something in your heart and they just call it out. And in a cancel culture, instead of embracing it or saying, Lord, is there some truth to this? I'm not saying take everyone's word completely how it's supposed to be and just you're going to go, someone said something, so now you have to go down this road. You're called to discern it. But at the same time, sometimes sin gets called out. It needs to get called out. Some of us have greed. Some of us have lies Some of, that we're living. Some of us have anger. Some of us have gossip. Some of us have some things that Jesus is saying. Did you not see what the Pharisees were doing? Your heart and my heart at times will be going down the wrong path. The elders and, and, and people that are close to me, 
They, all of you, you have a right. If my heart is going, I'm the pastor. If my heart's going down the wrong path, don't let me keep going down the wrong path. Somebody tell me. Somebody move me back to the right path. Because Jesus is saying it's these things that matter. Your heart and my heart at times will go down the wrong path. With our lips, we'll be professing it, but our actions aren't matching up. Hear me also say this. A lot of times churches may do this incorrectly, so I want to be very careful. I'm not trying to ba- uh, say that what happened to you wasn't, uh, was right or wrong. I'm just saying you need to check yourself. But what I'm going to say is that some churches do it with shame and condemnation. I totally understand that. But in a world of cancel culture, sometimes things get a little close to our heart and we're like, deuces. Am I right? It's the easiest thing to do. The easiest thing to do is to just leave when things get a little too close to the heart. In relationships, in church, even within yourself. Like, like oh, I'm thinking a little bit too much about my heart. Let's throw on Netflix. Amen? Like, I feel it, right? I think we call it church hurt. I think we make ourselves feel better, but we as a community have to love each other enough to tell the truth. We have to love each other enough to tell the truth. Because these are important conversations, and sometimes they're tough conversations. My mother-in-law has helped me a ton with fierce conversations. I read the book. It's not that you just get to be mean or abusive you get to do tough conversations well. Sometimes, we had a family meeting last night. My kid, you know when your kids are just kind of squirrely and you're just like, what is happening? You can't even figure it out. You got to sit them down. You got to have a tough conversation because I'm, we're heading down a path that if we let it keep going, we're going to find ourselves this far down the road and I don't want us to be there. Sometimes family has to have family meetings. All of us have had to have family meetings. And when we do it with love and truth, Letting grace reign, it's a beautiful thing. But we also have to be okay with uncomfortableness. When someone approaches you about something, it's uncomfortable for me. It's uncomfortable for the person doing it as well. It's uncomfortable. I don't know if you ever get great at it. It is uncomfortable. But if we want to live the way of Jesus, if we want to look more like Jesus, if we want to be more like Jesus, it's about dealing with heart issues. You're not going to do it on your own sometimes. You're not going to will yourself to this. It's a community that comes together. Now the question is this. I want to get better. I want to look more like Jesus. Do you want that to be true of yourself as well? Do you want that to be true of yourself as well? Because you have the choice. The amazing thing about God is he does not force it on you. The amazing thing about church is we will not force it on you. It's completely up to you. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't get him to drink. Jesus' teaching on defilement comes from within, and it's a call to examine your own heart right now. I don't care who you are. Like I said, you could be following for 50 years. You could not yet be following, but he's calling to this, an examination of your own heart. And if you do that, if you really spend time examining your heart, this morning on my run, I took time and I said, Lord, your Holy Spirit, reveal anything in my heart that has fallen short from you. 
I knew the three or four sins that I openly did that I needed to confess from. I let it in my mouth. And then the Lord said, oh, we're just getting started. And he begins to reveal all the things that I needed to root out of myself because my heart was defiled. Somehow I got off the path of what the Lord wanted me to and I get to do this. When you examine your heart, it's a call to repentance. Part of the problem we don't examine our heart is because we know where it's going to lead us. Now repentance has been a bad thing in the church. The repentance is the most beautiful thing in the world. There's nothing more beautiful than repentance. It's an open door policy to the Lord God Almighty. And he says if you come and you repent, you just turn away from your sin, it's forgiven. It's the most amazing thing in the world. And for some reason, in this cancel culture, we said that church talks about sin too much, or they talk about repentance too much. Yes, because it's amazing. It's a gift. It's free. If you examine your heart, hopefully people get uncomfortable here, you're going to find some lies that you're living, some lies that you're telling about yourself, some lies that you've said to other people. You're going to find some anger. You might find some greed. You might find some lust. You might find some gossip. And the Lord's just going to reveal it. It's like fill out the blank because keep going because the Lord wants to get you right. It's not a bad thing. He's not coming with shame and condemnation. He's not, he's not saying figure this out or do this or do that. He said to the Pharisees and the scribes, you got it all wrong. It's a hard issue. And Jesus came to take care of all that. All those 12 that he listed, he took care of on the cross. When we get to the truth in our hearts, we know that we fall short. I always feel like this is like the end of the sermon. I was like, I hope I have good news. Here's the good news. If you examine your heart, you're going to fall short. Every self-help conversation will be complete opposite. From within, you can muster up to change your life. If you really, whether you're a Christian or you're not, if you examine your heart, anyone that examines their heart, they're going to fall short. They're going to be like, I'm so far from my potential. I'm so far from what this was meant to be. I'm so far from what God has for me. The good news is you all fall short. I fall short. It's good news. Repent. Jesus is highlighting the importance of inner transformation by talking about the defiling nature of sin. I want to end here. The band can come up because I know we've kind of wrecked your whole area, so you've got to rebuild it. Psalm 51, throw it up there. This is a psalm by David. And it comes when the prophet Nathan came to him after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. David, a man after God's own heart, had committed adultery. He'd gone a lot further than that, but you can read the story yourself. He had done the stuff. And he says this. David understood this. You do not delight in sacrifice. There's nothing I can do. He's saying there is nothing I can do. There's no man-made tradition. There's no uh, different things that I could sprinkle on myself. There's no way I could serve the church enough to ever be made clean. There's no God points here. The God point thing is not a thing. It says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it to you. If that was it, I'd bring it to you. 
You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. God doesn't take pleasure in that. What is his sacrifice? My sacrifice, O oh God, is this. A broken spirit. A broken and contrite what? Heart. You, God, will not despise. Someone needs to hear this today. I don't know who it is. Not putting any, I'm not going to have you raise your hand. You've been carrying shame and guilt. You feel like you're supposed to come to church or you're supposed to be, get close to God, but you can't because you feel like there's this barrier that's, that's there. It's the easiest thing in the word. God, God desires a broken spirit. He desires a broken heart rather than the acts of sacrifice. There is nothing, nothing, nothing on your own that you can do to get closer to God. David was a man after God's own heart. This is the guy we're supposed to look to. And he's straight screwed up. He did the thing that Jesus listed. Jesus lists adultery in there. It's like you're having a relationship with somebody outside of marriage. And he knew that it was a heart issue. Here's the good news. Jesus died so your sins were forgiven. If we do this, and I want to be very careful because we have grown up in a church that says you just profess it with your mouth. And yes, you profess it with your mouth. But it's faith and trust in the heart. God desires a heart that's transformed. Go ahead and stand up. I'm going to do one last song, and I think it fits really well with this sermon, but I want to be... Uh, I want to pray for you. Thank you for hanging in there in the, in the hot sun. I always say this, that our ancestors went to church with no air conditioning and they had to wear wool. Wool suits. So us, we can wear shorts and be good. I just want everyone to bow their head. I don't know if there's anybody here that, uh, whether you've been a Christian or you're not yet a Christian, I'm telling you, all the pain no matter how much we progress as a society, you're not going to progress past greed and jealousy and lust and gossip. It just comes out of you almost like this primal thing, doesn't it? And the Lord's saying, I have a solution for you. All that guilt and shame that you're feeling, that you're carrying is gone. In Jesus' name, if we just put our faith and trust in the Lord. So if that's you, I really do. Every head bowed, I just want you to say, Lord, I put my trust in you. Maybe for some of us, some of you, you need to redo this. Maybe you've gone down the path and it's been a week or a month or a couple years. I feel like it's getting hot in this room. You might be feeling that. And you found yourself so far from the path that God had intended for you. And he's saying, repent. Put your trust and your faith in me. That's all I ask. And you will be forgiven of your sins. 
and like a load will be lifted off you. So Lord, if that's anyone in this room, just repeat after me, Lord, I put my trust in you. I put my faith in you. I put my faith in the cross. I put my faith in Jesus that I am made new, that I am washed as white as snow, that all my sins are as far as the east is from the west, and there's nothing that I can do. I'm tired of striving. I'm tired of trying. Instead, your grace just falls on me. And not only do I feel release here on earth, but I know that you're making a place for me in heaven. But all the tradition or all the shame or all the guilt that I'm trying to do to get there makes me fall short. Lord, for us that are in the room that are Christians already, Lord, would you help us to rebuild in us a spiritual discipline of examining our hearts and guarding our hearts, keeping it from attack, keeping it from going down the path. Would you, Jesus, remind us that it's not the outside world that defiles us, no matter how bad it gets, that it's our insides, our heart, that we control, that we guard, that we don't let anything in or out that is not of you, Holy Spirit, reveal and let us examine and let us repent over and over again of the sins that we have fallen so short. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.